the presenting sponsor of this episode of Kill by Kill is Studio. Now, if you're like me, you are using headphones all the time, whether you're at the office or at the gym. Portable wireless sound isn't really a luxury anymore. It's now a necessity. So you want headphones and earbuds that not only sound great, but they look great too. And that's where you need to plug into Studio. It combines timeless Scandinavian design and pairs it with a precision tuned sound that gives you a almost like being there listening experience. You don't have to decide between fashionable headphones and high quality audio because Studio delivers both. The best news is that you can experience this amazing audio tech for yourself and save some coin when you're doing it. Head to studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O.com, and find yourself the perfect pair of headphones or earbuds and enter the discount code KILLBYKILL at checkout, and you're going to get 15% off your purchase. And more good news, Studio ships your choice to you for free worldwide. Once again, enter the discount code KILLBYKILL at checkout to get 15% off any purchase at studio.com. And now... The body count continues. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking Friday the 13th, Part 5. A new ending to the new beginning? Oh, we're talking about this movie again. On Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from some unnamed locale that no one has bothered to put into the movie we're talking about. It is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning, in the hopes that a, a, a halfway house resident's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there is only one person I trust that if I try to seduce somebody while watching a Montgomery Clift movie, she'll tap me on the shoulder and say, that's a bad idea. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Uh, well, Patrick, it's it's late. I am I am high on sleep meds, so this should be our most interesting episode yet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is, listen, this is the midnight hour. It's the witching hour. This is the best time to talk about Friday the 13th Part 5 again. I agree. <laughs> and preferably, preferably while high on some sort of sleeping medication. Well, I'll see what I can do. It's only 8.30 here, but, you know, I, I can cook something up. Sure, why not? This is Southern California. It, drugs should be available everywhere. Just pop, All right. a, pop a melatonin, get some get some Z-Quil. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Things are about to get freaky in the protein shake I have in front of me. All right. I, I, I don't want to alarm you, Gina, but we are not alone. That is right. We have not one, but two special guests. Our first guest is a prolific podcaster ruling over both the Corpse Club and F This Movie. He is a kill-by-kill all-star. The one and only Patrick Bromley. How are you doing, sir? Thank you very much for having me back. I am so happy that you are here. You are my favorite cinepositive movie presence on any podcast. That is very nice of you to say. You may I... feel differently after this episode. <laughs> 
I don't believe we are confrontational here. I just feel we have a difference of opinion <laughs> and we've discussed it in general and we've discussed it off air, but we've never really gotten into it where everyone else could hear about it. Right. And uh, listen, we all understand loving movies and pop culture in general. It's like ice cream. Everyone has a different flavor. Just because you like Rocky Road doesn't mean I'm offended that I'm a straight vanilla. It, it's okay. Everyone gets ice cream. That's the best part. Uh, every time I try to offer you ice cream, you uh, hatchet me in the back. That's true. <laughs> well, I just want to chop that wood. I want to <laughs> chop it into a mess of sticks. The best way you can really process uh, wood for your fire is to make sure it's nothing but small thorns by the, the time you're done with it. If that's the way you're going to be about it, forget it. You can just forget it. <laughs> oh, God damn it. We're talking about Friday the 13th part five again. All right. Uh oh, wait a second. We're still not alone. That's right. We have a second special guest. He is a fantastic writer and the director of his latest film, Beyond the Gates, stars people like Graham Skipper and, and Brie Grant and the amazing Barbara Crampton. And it can be seen right now on Blu-ray from Scream Factory. And it's also streaming on Netflix. You got to go out and see it. It is the one, the only Jackson Stewart. How are you doing, sir? Uh, very well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for uh, spending your time talking about this movie when you could probably be talking about any movie anywhere you wanted to but you're here talking about friday the 13th part five it is my absolute pleasure to uh pointlessly to defend this movie once again <laughs> oh there's always a point to defend the movie. indeed indeed it may be lost on Gina and I, but <laughs> the good news is that she's high as a kite. And, uh, you know, I've got a really interesting protein shake going on here with Zequil. So Very maybe nice. you'll win us over. We'll do give the it the old college try. We'll do the podcast equivalent of smiling politely and nodding. <laughs> all righty folks uh we have a tradition here on the kill by kill podcast and that is when we have a new guest we ask them what their first introduction was to the friday the 13th franchise so mr stewart when did you get first introduced to the Voorhees clan i really wish i had a much cooler answer than what the real one is but uh it was through the uh pay-per-view previews for jason goes to hell which were airing in, I, I think, 92 or 93. But there used to be a pay-per-view channel on cable, and it would just show the same previews over and over and over again for whatever movies were coming out that month. And uh, I'd end up watching the trailer for Jason Goes to Hell, I don't know, uh, 14 times a day, just because <laughs> it would be in the rotation there. And I would just sort of imagine what these movies were like. And uh, it, it made a very big impression on me because horror at that age really freaks me out. And that kind of coupled with the uh, video cover at the movie store of just the, you know, the hellfire behind the chrome Jason hockey mask with the snake demon thing coming out of it. It was uh, absolutely terrifying to look at when you were eight years old. So yeah, that was that was sort of the main entry. And then I, you know, in my early teens i started watching all the movies sequentially and or loved all of them up to a certain point but yeah it was it was through pay-per-view previews in the uh, early 1990s was uh, my my first intro to jason and so 
Now, I, I guess I have to ask both of you. So, Patrick, when I go with you first, when did you first come across part five? And was it love at first sight? It was not love at first sight. I'm sure I just rented it on VHS, probably in like middle school or early high school. And I think at that time, they all kind of ran together. I wasn't as good about sort of separating them in my mind. So eventually I came around on, oh yeah, five is the one, you know, without Jason. But it took me, I think, a few watches to get into this movie's very special groove. By like, you know, the third watch, I realized, wait, well, I keep wanting to return to this movie movie, there must be a reason. Perhaps it is the sly genius of Danny Steinman. So uh, <laughs> my affection for it kind of snuck up on me, but I am now, uh, along with Jackson, a staunch defender. So Jackson, when it comes to this movie's special sauce, do you mm -hmm. believe that Danny Steinman is what it comes down to? That his sort of blend of very early 80s, late 70s sleaze and <laughs> frankly not giving a fuck about a plot or time, place, character oh, is sir. what brings this to the forefront? <laughs> These are scurrilous allegations, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, with Steinman, I think is a, a big part of why I, I, I dug this movie. Um, you know, he did a terrific movie, uh, Savage Streets, which, uh, I believe was right before this. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but I, I was a fan of that, which I, I saw right around the same time as this. And he was certainly kind of an, an integral piece of this franchise for me because to me, I, I think the three best directors from the original five of these movies were Joseph Zito, who did, you know, the final chapter, Steve Miner, more for Friday the 13th Part 2 than Part 3, and then Agreed. Steinman. And I, I love the original, but, you know, it was, those are the ones that I kind of seek out as my Friday the 13th comfort food is two, four, and five. So, Gina, now that you've had a chance to revisit it, after some time and this will land you know as we start to wrap up jason x i must ask you do you still believe that part 10 is for you turning out to be worse than our experience with part five i i think that it is yeah I mean, <laughs> for for one thing it feels so much longer than part five. I yes. mean, I can't, I cannot believe that there's still a half hour left to part 10 that we haven't covered yet. <laughs> and finally, most of the, uh, the majority of the cast has been killed off at this point, And there's still a half hour left. I mean, the best, the best you can say, uh, you know, a, a point in favor of part five is it moves along pretty quickly, which is good. Because mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's like tearing a bandaid off. You, you want it to be as, as quick as possible. <laughs> so it only, it only hurts for a second, but just part 10 just plods endlessly. And there's, there's these long gaps between when anything happens and even the actors just kind of stand around, like they're waiting for their next, their next line or to switch to the next scene. And it just, it just moves like molasses. And I had mentioned this before we started recording. There's a, there's a smugness and a sort of, uh, you know, part 10 is extremely pleased with itself. <laughs> and um, part five is definitely trying to go for a sort of very gritty, almost not, I don't want to say a snuff film, but definitely you know, a grittier <laughs> tone. An than, unintentional snuff film. Yeah, like if it happens, it'd be fine. It's a little, it's a little kind of almost, you know, this could turn into porn at any minute. <laughs> 
<laughs> Whereas part 10, it's very, it's very shiny. It's very self-referential. It's very, hey, nerds, you remember Star Wars, right? You like that? Well, here, we're going to have this throwaway line that'll vaguely make you think of Star Wars and, and make you wish you were watching that instead. <laughs> Which is not really the response you want to get from an audience when you're trying to to reference other movies you know, that they wish they were watching that movie instead. But that happens a lot in, in part 10, whereas part five is its own creation. It's not trying to be like any other movie. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely following a, a, an established Friday the 13th pattern, but it's it, as a quote unquote new beginning, it is allowed to do some other things it doesn't always quite reach the top it's going for but i can say this having had some distance between our original run and now and that is i understand how people love the genuine ineptitude on display in part five i believe in the power of good bad i worship at the altar of the cinematic what the fuck and I believe there are moments in this movie that are hilarious. That sequence in which the Pinehurst blue truck goes across the screen as they're taking Reggie to go see his brother. It crosses the screen not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times while Henry Manfredini has what can only be described as an orchestral orgasm. <laughs> is super funny they were not intending it to be that way and that's why it feels genuine for what it is there are just moments in this that cannot be replicated or even described properly the fact that jason Voorhees and tommy jarvis 1.0's dream is in a very shallow grave and his name is written out in the same font as the He-Man Woman Haters Club, is incredibly humorous. The fact that the two men digging him up, there is no other reason why they are doing it other than to have sex with that dead serial killer's corpse. <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 sta- I stand by my, my assessment of that very, very, very firmly. Yes. I, well, but can, I, can I interject real sure, quick? If, of course. Because this, there's kind of an odd parallel between that opening and then the opening of part six, which is, you know, widely considered one of the, the fan favorites. Is it a possibility that those guys are just digging him up to make sure he's dead? I don't think that people are that encouraging to one another. <laughs> to simply make sure someone is dead. I mean, you never know. It's, I'm just, I'm, just the, I'm, I'm, I'm purely speculating. But it, it, you know, the the immediate connection just sort of came to mind when you were saying that. I have, an, yeah. I have an even worse theory. Um, okay. My take on it. <laughs> my my take on it has always been, and this I might be reaching here that it's sort of a, a tribute to Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Oh, okay, all right. Why, well, why is that a bad take? Because I don't know if uh, the filmmakers were saying, wouldn't it be cool if we reference this classic Universal Monsters movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick the shears in her eyes. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> For sure, the that opening sequence that they partially filmed in, uh, in fell dog's backyard in his backyard mm-hmm. with the garden hose spraying on him. Mm-hmm. It's filmed better than everything that that comes after it. Like the lensing is better. The lighting is better. The focus is better. The sequence moves with a nightmare like 
quickness to it. There's something going on there that's genuinely working. And if they are, in fact, referencing Frankenstein meets Wolfman, I think that part six carries it off a little bit better because there's mist along the ground. They're in a yeah. graveyard that's populated. Like it, it sticks that landing a little bit more. But I do enjoy this version of it where two guys are obviously horny for that corpse <laughs> and they encourage one another to a level where I thought maybe they were on a rowing team because those are the only people who get more encouragement to do stuff. And that box is only three inches below the ground. <laughs> Listen, these, these are, these are production problems that could happen to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I haven't really thought about that, that opening, you know, in, in connection to the, um, Jason lives opening before, but yeah, there's, there's certainly like visually part six is a much stronger movie. I think it'd be very hard to argue that otherwise there's a lot more sort of, you know, there's a lot more sort of like visual flair in that movie than there is in part five. But to me, it seems like part five really stays within the visual sort of constraints or mood or tone of the previous four movies in a way that six doesn't like six feels very much like it wants to go and be its own movie and kind of do something different from the the prior entries and five really does feel like the last sort of extension of the original sort of jason mythos and sean cunningham era of friday the 13th yeah I, I agree 100%. It's the, this is the last film that operates in the same groove of the record. Yeah. Whereas part six, from that moment on, Friday the 13th is now responding to the bigger horror phenomenon on the block, which is a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, oh, totally. And totally. so they, they're constantly going, well, all right, this new bigger thing is out there. How do we respond? How do we get the people back on our side? How do we make sure that we're, we're keeping up with the Joneses? <laughs> and uh, you know there are there are things that I genuinely do like about this movie, and I'll, I'll say it right from the top. I like the performance of Tommy Jarvis 2.0. Yeah, I, I can tell that he's giving it his all right up until the point that as the film's protagonist, he disappears from the screen <laughs> for half of the film. He's also terrible at self-administering pills. <laughs> that be that's insane. a very relatable problem. <laughs> <laughs> he just he bangs it out, and they all spill out. And he's like, I don't know, I'll t- one from column A, one from column B. But he's very Gina, sweaty, and he, he looks great without his shirt on. And uh, G- Gina had the exact same problem before we started this podcast with her her, her meds, right? <laughs> I, I did. That just tossed him right over my shoulder. Just there's just a pile of pills just on my in the corner of my bathroom where i just keep missing <laughs> <laughs> you know patrick i was gonna say you're talking about like scenes that you do actually like and i i will have to say that i do always find it incredibly hilarious when uh after, after joey is murdered and and roy uncovers his body he just looks at the camera and gets this well time to kill i guess look at his face and <laughs> it's just, just snap decision i'm just gonna kill everybody in this fucking halfway house all of them all of them are dead he just flips the switch to murder right then and there (laughs) and it requires his jowls to shake and he just he he's asked to look directly into the camera's eye and from that moment on the movie never pretends really that anyone else could possibly be murdering everyone else, even though occasionally the script still has remnants 
of the whodunit that was supposed to be there. But of course, a whodunit requires who's. So you can only review the movie that is actually delivered to cinemas. You can't castigate a film for what it isn't, only for what it is. So do I wish that Vic was a real red herring to the point where a van crashed and he's on the loose and the sheriff knows about it. So it's a race against time and all these people keep dying. Is it Vic? Is it somebody else? We don't know. I think that would add some momentum to this because we don't see who is stalking everyone. It really would have made so much more sense to flesh that out and plus that would have just think about that sequence if if Vic was on the loose you know after axing a guy to death after being offered chocolate he's he's escaped from custody and Ethel discovers the bodies of Tina and Eddie and dirty sexy drifter (laughs) and she's Under the belief that possibly Junior did this. This is why she is so adamant that she wants that Pinehurst halfway home gone because Junior is a psycho and she would like to cover up for his crimes. Then you've got another like that's something that could have been there. It would have added you could have done that in 45 seconds, but that's not the film we got. So, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's interesting because, you know, the production cycle of these movies at the time where they were cranking them out, I think it was about the same rate they were doing the Saw movies where it was just every, you know, summer you'd get a new Friday the 13th. So I have a feeling there probably was some iteration of the script that was closer in line to what you're you're talking about. And then in just the chaos of production and, you know, trying to meet a release date those things probably, you know, didn't, didn't quite make the grade. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting idea. You know, I think there's a lot of concepts in this movie that are strong, almost like stronger than, than the movie. I think the ending would have made for a really great jumping off point in the series. You know, to me, the two, you know, franchise entries of like, you know, the Halloween and Friday the 13th uh, that seemed to have like really cool endings that would have made incredible sequels they didn't go for were this one with uh, part five of Tommy becoming Jason and then Halloween four with, uh, you know, Jamie turning into like this little girl version of Michael Myers, which uh, I really, really wish they had stuck with that for uh part five but you know instead they just kind of went back to the Myers well and did sort of a the same iteration to much lesser effect <laughs> yes <laughs> you can say that I, <laughs> I, I i will watch friday the 13th part five a, a good dozen more times before i plop in my blu-ray of halloween five that yeah. is <laughs> a long that's a that is a movie that may be an indefensible. I, mean, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know about that. There is also part six. <laughs> I oh, Anya Stan- Stanley loves part yeah. six. I've she seen, genuinely does. So I, there there are defenders out there. I, I've seen defenders of six. I've I don't think I've ever seen a defender of part five in Halloween. No, that's fucking nuts. (laughs) But I promise we will put this out on Twitter and there will be somebody. There's there's always somebody. Always somebody. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the reason why we wanted to do Kill by Kill in the first place. In that Friday the 13th is one of the rare circumstances in which a film franchise launches eight entries 
in the span of 10 years. And there's nothing, not even the Bond franchise can keep up with that kind of pace. You get little slices of time. You get everyone's version of the same sort of events. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a unique uh, animal that may never happen again. And so, uh, you know, that's what makes it interesting to talk about. Otherwise, uh, I think uh, Gina would have stopped talking to me a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so there are remnants there uh, that I think could have elevated this up. And I don't know why it didn't happen. I don't know if it was a producer problem where they said, just make the fucking movie you got. I don't know whether it's Danny Simon going, people are coming to this movie for two reasons, blood and boobs. And that's what I'm going to give them. And so he drops everything else. I don't know if it was just flawed from the script onward, but there are, there are things that don't make sense to me. For example, Jeremy, and we're coming back to someone I like, Tommy Jarvis 2.0. He's presented as a possible suspect here because he's managed to sneak a knife in and out of a mental institution, which is amazing. But the other evidence that we're given is that whenever anger flares, like the Incredible Hulk, he's able to beat dudes up Billy Jack style. (laughs) And that's cool and everything. But when people start dying, it's not because they've died be- like, oh, oh, we put out an APB for a Chuck Norris like killer. No one's getting the fuck beat out of them. They're being stabbed. So if he was presented as a dude who stabbed people rather than suplexing them to death, I, I think you'd have a, a bigger narrative thrust yeah i mean to me it's like i i think it's fine as you know foreshadowing just connecting that the guy's anger issues and is you know seeing jason all over the place and maybe that's turning into him becoming a psychopathic killer i don't think they ever really stick the landing on convincing you that tommy is doing the the killings kind of like you said but you know that one-to-one ratio there to never totally bothered me it's more you know i i do think a lot of the the charm of this movie comes more from like the time place casting and other elements that were made in the day versus like what is actually in the the script and you know some of the other um filmmaking aspects of it i can see that uh, yeah, so I, I don't mean to like be like countering every point you <laughs> no. you make. I don't, I don't know if I'm, That's why you're if I'm being like completely out of line here. But uh, I mean, you're here because I I love Beyond the Gates and I I think you're a fantastic director. And I've heard you on other podcasts and I was dying to have you. Oh, but, that's nonsense. <laughs> that's very sweet. But of you. you're also here, and Patrick is also here because you genuinely love this film. And if it was just Gina and I complaining about it, <laughs> I don't think it would be as interesting. Yeah, I well, I'm I'm curious too. With um, do you guys think if they'd made the same movie and let's just say it was Corey Feldman in it and they kind of like aged the other characters down, do you think you would have had a better or worse reaction to it? I wonder if Feldman actually would have been able to do this without winking at the camera constantly i don't know how into himself he would have been at this moment in time he's certainly at the height of his charm at this moment in time this is he's concurrently filming goonies while this is filming yeah and after this he goes into lost boys which he is 
genuinely good in. Well, because to me, like the there was another version of this script where it did open with him waking. He was in the you know the hospital after the events of Part Four, and then he ends up basically he's already snapped, and he goes through and starts killing some of the orderlies in there in order to like get back to Jason and make sure he's dead, which seems. Like that probably would have been very over the top and uh, a hard pill to swallow. But he was still a really serious actor at this point. Like he did Stand By Me around this time. And mm. um, I, I, you know, I, I really like this Tommy Jarvis that's in in this movie. But I, I feel like it's one of these things like if, you know, in Scream, if suddenly, you know, Jennifer Love Hewitt was playing nev campbell's character in scream 2 i feel like people would be a lot less inclined to like it even though it's along a similar trajectory as the first movie you know well let's get into our particular section of the movie in order to do that we need to do a body count who is still left alive at this point of the movie well we're gonna start with our main man, Tommy Jarvis 2.0, who always <laughs> looks like he's just peed his pants by a single drop. <laughs> and then we have Dr. Matthew Letter, a man who dons the most confounding pair of pants not worn by a member of Buckaroo Banzai's band ever committed to film. <laughs> and then you that's before you get to his ankles, because he's wearing a pair of boots that say, yes. I do run the turkey leg stand at the local Ren Fair, but I'm only into it for the orgies. <laughs> and then there is his assistant, Pam. Now she's got a mind for psychology, a bod for sin, and the bangs of a Rob Leefield drawing. <laughs> <laughs> and Did. the the of course the charming Reggie the Reckless. Uh, Reggie's lungs, his grandfather, George. We don't make jokes about them because we generally like them as characters. And of course, the two homicidal ambulance drivers named Duke and Roy. Although we only see the crimes of Roy in this film. I assume there's a Legends of the Old Republic that details Duke's many, <laughs> many crimes against humanity. And we just don't have time to explore them in this film. <laughs> Uh, that leaves us with the trio that we will be discussing at length for the rest of this episode, that being Jake, Robin, and Violet. Um, so just prior to the section, we saw Ethel uh, get a meat cleaver to the head from Royson, uh, <laughs> as I've decided to dub him. Uh, she lands face first into her world-famous purple cabbage, basil, and cucumber stew. Uh, no amount of wall-dried herbs is going to elevate that flavor profile. <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> stew, everybody. And so that leads us directly into Pam, who is driving the Pinehurst truck around, looking for nearly half the patients of the facility um, and also some of the staff, uh, right up to the point that the the engine fails or she runs out of gas or... I don't know, something happens and the, the truck the, just the, stops moving. The script declares it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, there, yeah, she she yanks the choke on it. She does a whole bunch of things that I was surprised I understood just by uh, context clues. Uh, but that truck isn't starting again. And then we hear dry lightning in the background. And that's never a good sound for a Friday the 13th movie. At least not the ones where it actually rains. 
which is weird because uh, this film uh, was made in Agora Hills, a place that never fucking hmm. rains. Cut to Jake. Let's see. I think Jake can best be described as a character played by an actor with a SAG card. <laughs> <laughs> He's got That's, some uh he's got some kind of like faux rockabilly thing going on with his hair. Yes. I, I do not like it. <laughs> he's uh he's kind of a distaff John Cryer. Like if you yes. picked him up at a uh, picked him up at a swap meet, he'd be like a Johnny Cries some. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Little 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 Patrick Dempsey, a little little John Cryer, definitely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's got a little bit of everything and he's got um, a whole lot of hair that he just piles on top of his head like it's an ice cream sundae that you get at Farrell's. And for the majority of the movie, he's wearing horn rimmed glasses, but then he ditches them when he's watching TV. So, uh, I don't know why I wrote that down, but apparently <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, and he is watching a movie with Robin uh, that I don't think I knew what it was the first time I watched it, but I have actually seen the film in between the time we first recorded this episode and this time. And that is a place in the sun starring Montgomery cliff. And I guess I didn't realize at the time that the sequence they're watching Montgomery cliff is about to throw his pregnant girlfriend off of a boat. So you know what that means? Time to ask that girl next to you if you want to fuck. <laughs> I mean, no, nothing. no, he, he doesn't put it like that. He puts it in an even worse way. <laughs> the, his pitch needs to be worked on. Look, I didn't write timing down is everything. I didn't write. <laughs> There's no amount of timing that's going to make this. A, amalgamation of words work okay there's an alchemy to uh asking a, a person you are sexually desirous of if you want to have congress with one another and i'll tell you right now the set of leaden words that make gold are not i want to make love with you what that kind of sounds. You think you should like have said on? Would, I want to make love on you. Yeah. <laughs> near, near, near you. There we go. <laughs> I want to make love adjacent to you, within your vicinity. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I want to make love with you. Kind of sounds like he would like Robin to join the making love that's already in progress. You know, if she's not busy or anything. Uh, why not throw yourself into the making love pile that he's already lovingly curated? This does not go over well as she takes one look at him after being very engrossed in this Montgomery Clift film and just begins laughing. And I guess I don't blame her because are her options that much better? <laughs> <laughs> and it's that I kind mean, of it's that kind of uncomfortable laugh too. Like <laughs> you're kidding, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, she's caught between a rock and a hard place with some ridiculous fucking hair. <laughs> and yes, her options are not better. But then again, she is allowed to exercise her options. I'm not saying what she does in her reaction. She even says after the fact that she doesn't believe that she acted in the most, you know, empathetic right. way. <laughs> that being said, 
<laughs> when she does laugh, Jake does not play it off. He immediately goes into, I need to protect my, my small feelings mode and runs out of the room going, it was a joke, <laughs> which is also not attractive. <laughs> no. I will say though, that like, aside from his stutter, this is the only moment where it sort of crystallizes why Jake is in this home where you're like, oh, he doesn't understand social cues. He is a giant weirdo because otherwise you have no idea why he's there. I mean, here's the problem that I have with the film in general, um, and that is outside of Vic, I'm not, and Tommy, I'm not entirely 100% that any of these people need to be either institutionalized or halfway reintroduced to society. They all seem to, while they have their quirks, are no different than any of the other young adults that we have been introduced to in parts one through four. Well, that's they, a, that's the thing. I mean, this is a, a halfway house for presumably troubled teenagers who I, I don't I would imagine you're not going to have someone like Vic, you know, in a, in a home with people who are not at the same level of dangerousness as him. And yet they have two people on staff. <laughs> who frequently leave them alone <laughs> and also occasionally leave a 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy in their care. <laughs> so they, they play a little fast and loose with, I mean, you've got Joey who is definitely more challenged, I would say, than, 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 than mentally ill, which is <laughs> kind of a, a little bit of a gross aspect of this movie that I that doesn't sit well with me. Oh, and the guy who has anger management problems is assigned to chop wood. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is, you know, that that seems questionable. I mean, I realize <laughs> that that sometimes part of therapy is sort of, you know, facing your problems, but generally speaking, I think as someone has an anger management issue. They're not given edged weapons and told to go chop something to small pieces. <laughs> very true. Very true. Joey's situation is very fraught. Obviously, he may not be built to exist on his own without support in in the real world. And his his then dad again, abandoned him. He's, he oh, has yeah. no family. I the 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 way that the movie <laughs> handles Joey is. One of the reasons I love it because no one involved with this movie uh, uh, clearly has like met another human being. And I love, <laughs> I love it so much. I love to think about the auditions for the character of Joey. Cause if that's the guy they went with, like think about what other actors did in the audition where this guy was like chocolate stains. This guy gets it. Yeah. That's our Joey. <laughs> he, he got he, he he found the crux of the character. I think it is uh I mean one of the interesting things about living out here is just seeing like a lot of times there are people like this that come in and the people they're stacked against a guy like him actually would stand out. And they're like, well, he actually seems like the best from like the crop of people that came in to do right. this. So in, in, 
in all probability, they're very likely uh, cast this dude just off of his look. Or I, I can't remember. Isn't this guy? Isn't the actor who played Joey a, a director too, or something? He is, like and I advise no one to Google him and go down that rabbit hole because you will find some very yeah. upsetting things that oh right right yeah, yeah i remember so, that. Yeah. okay well yeah <laughs> all right Think, well we can just get super yeah. very faced when you know too much it's best to just leave joey in his cinematic sealed off <laughs> like a comic book that you put in that plastic sleeve and you never take out again let's just because- hope he's sharing chocolate bars with jesus (laughs) that's one of the things i love about joey is that he comes out not with one chocolate bar but many chocolate bars including one that he is tucked into sort of into where like your aunt puts her cell phone (laughs) in her bra when she goes to the beach and that I love. But again, I just, I pictured Danny Steinman off camera. Like, I don't know. How we how do we get this cross? I don't know. This guy, he's fucking fat. Uh, load him up with candy bars. Uh, that's what fat people do, right? <laughs> like, just. I mean, the, he's so fat that, 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 like, chocolate's spilling out of his mouth. Like, he's. Count right? like one. Like, yeah, that's what you are. This is the. It's that kind of movie. One chocolate bar will not do. <laughs> they have to have six, and yeah, it is a metaphor for this entire movie. Totally, and that's that's a, that's another thing too. I think is like these those kind of overboard directions like that are why this movie stands yes. out amongst a lot of the other entries because you don't hear people kind of like bringing that argument into. Jason takes Manhattan or, you know, some of the other or even, you know, Jason goes to hell. It's just people kind of tune out and are like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really care what's going on here. <laughs> well, versus this I, it's like I would I would counter crazy. that. Okay. I would counter that as much as Joey is a singular presence in this film, <laughs> smoking bread and Canada cop. Part eight. I mean, there are elements of that that are so (laughs) delightfully toned down that they they do stand. I mean, (laughs) it's a weird competition because I think there's an element of this that because it this does fall into the same groove as the first four, it's it's allowed to make those moves and it's more easily forgiven. Whereas when you see a guy who possesses a Jason worm in his body and he takes a sheriff's deputy, strips him of his clothes, puts him into a sex harness and says, I'm not going to pass this Jason worm to you until I shave you. That's <laughs> just as fucking nuts, if not nuttier. But that's why Jason Goes that's- to Hell is better than the few movies before it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a hill I will die on. even though it's trying to be a terminator and the hidden movie more than a friday the 13th everybody loves halloween 3 but to me this is kind of the this is kind of the halloween 3 of the the franchise you know uh just because this is the one i hear people debate about kind of more than any of the other ones it's like six is pretty universally loved along with the first four you know part nine I do think there's some some charms to it. You know, Creighton Duke, I think, <laughs> is a, a a wonderful character. And there's there's just a whole bunch of insanity wrapped up in that dude and his, you know, 
line about the hot dog going in the donut is a, an all-time <laughs> cinematic classic. The man but, has uh, had a stroke of finger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, this this one feels like the most hotly debated entry in the franchise, and I, I think it would be hard to argue that. I will say, when when you stated, when you compared this movie to Halloween 3, part of me wanted to start flipping tables like I was on a Real Housewives set. But people should love what they love. Let's all remind one another. <laughs> well, it's it's also too though. Halloween three was a super hated movie until just a couple years yeah. ago, and still, I think a lot of the consensus with people outside of this, you know, little community we're in, they don't like that movie. And I've heard a lot of people just say Michael's not in it. I don't care. It sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a good movie on its own. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't think so. I think it's dumb. I don't think it should be called Halloween. And if you go on IMDb, it's it has like a 4.4 or something on uh, the IMDb ratings, which you know su- suggests to me it's not reached the cultural tipping point that it should have. So I, you know, I, I don't know. It's like this is a harder movie to argue that with because Halloween three, I think, is objectively a very well made movie. And there are a lot of things that you brought up, like, you know, with Joey and just some of these other things that are, you know, probably a result of them blitzing to make the release date that end up being kind of back end funny and not intentional to what is going on in the narrative of the movie. Your point about flipping tables is taken. (laughs) (laughs) I I uh, see the floor to your table. (laughs) For the longest time, I feel like the objection to five, though, was it's not Jason uh, in the way that, you know, the objection to three was there's no Michael. But in five, I mean, with the exception of a late movie reveal uh, that it's Roy, the physics of which I will never understand in terms of how that mask comes off. But with the exception of that reveal, it's you're you're watching a Jason movie in every way. So I don't I that complaint doesn't hold a lot of water with me. I mean, it's it is legitimately debatable how Roy is able to take on so very many attributes of Jason (laughs) to the point where how did he learn how to kick through a door? Did he learn that at ambulance school? (laughs) Did they teach him that in the first responders class? How to sneak around like a fucking ninja? Because the only thing that he really doesn't possess that I feel Jason and the Voorhees clan does in spades is that sort of interior slash exterior decorator feel i mean he still hates windows and doors but he doesn't quite display in the same way i i guess dr letter kind well of and he stages he stages the bodies that we're eventually going to get to <laughs> <laughs> okay let's get back to it Let, let's return to the action because we could get lost in the miasma forever and we would enjoy it but let's return to our sequence on the couch Okay, we got Robin, who is just been presented with the opportunity of a lifetime (laughs) to bone a guy in a white button down. And that's not going to happen every day for an attractive woman. She's got to take advantage of it when it lands at her feet, but she doesn't. And I I get it. I think her reaction to Jake's pretty believable. Like if an anthropomorphic llama were to state that he wished to sex me up, I would laugh just as hard. (laughs) Jake does not respond well to this and he heads immediately upstairs and this is where 
we get to one of my favorite things in the Friday the 13th franchise, and that is to read the stuff an art director has decided to put on a wall. (laughs) And without a doubt, there's a couple leading contenders as the most awesome thing on the wall of things that Jake passes. But I'm going to start with this. Positively, no handball playing (laughs) in the hallways. (laughs) This supposes that, A, people were playing handball in the hallways to the point where someone had to say, not only are you positively not going to play handball, but you're not going to play handball in this hallway where what which one of these people was playing handball? Was it Vic? Was it Joey? Who was playing handball in this hallway? Maybe no one was because the sign was always there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that almost reminds me of, uh, you know, in the beyond that, like, do not enter sign in, in the hospital where I'm like, I'm like, the person who production designed this is either like a, just a fucking genius or wildly incompetent or just trying to, you know, make. Steinman look like an asshole. Or, <laughs> who knows? Maybe all three. It's a, there, there's a lot to mull over with that. I've come away with it deciding that it's a metaphor, that it's a, it's a metaphor or not a metaphor. Just, just the, you know what we're talking about when we say no play handball in the hallways. Mm. Stop, stop masturbating in the hallway. Yeah. Joey. Because oh. in a group home for mentally ill teenagers, you know, openly <laughs> masturbating would seem to be more of a likely problem than playing handball. I, I'm having a hard time because Gina once usually reads my mind and is almost always right. But I am I am sort of won over by Bromley's inception idea. <laughs> That it started with a mandate from those who owned the facility. We never want handball to start happening here. <laughs> and we can't, we, from the get-go, we just have to say there are places to play handball, but they will positively never be this hallway. But doesn't handball have to be played indoors? Does it, uh, and, and does that suggest that there's a handball court nearby? There are a lot of things in that barn that are inexplicable. So why not add that to the list? It's a pretty uh, luxurious halfway house that has a handball court. (laughs) (laughs) That's why everyone's trying to get in, Gina. That's why it's the hottest halfway home in. Oh, that's right. This movie doesn't fucking tell you where it takes place. It doesn't even give you a shot of anyone's license plate. That's how little this movie gives a fuck about its time and place. But I digress. Kill, kill, kill. Break, 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 break. This episode of Kill by Kill is brought to you by Studio Brand Headphones and Earbuds. The perfect harmony of studio quality sound, Scandinavian minimalist design. And, uh, you know, just today I was using my own new pair of Vaza Blow wireless headphones while I was walking my dog Nigel and cleaning the yard. Those are two activities where adding wires to the mix are just going to make listening to music or your favorite podcast more difficult. My studio headphones provide me with the ultimate wireless freedom. It's unparalleled design, and you get eight hours of continuous play on a single charge. Now, you can grab whatever headphones or earbuds make sense for your lifestyle at studio.com today. That's S-U-D-I-O.com. Use the code KILLBYKILL at checkout to get 15% off your purchase right now. 
So Jake poses in front of the camera with a single applied tear. I was going to say that looks like he just put some visine in his eyes right before they started filming. It's uh, it's not the most genuine moment, but that's okay. You know, I listen, this movie is about a serial killer killing fictional people. It's fine. There are things I can live with and things I can live with them. But uh, Jake decides he's going to he needs to talk to somebody. He needs to pull Violet into his shame spiral. So um, he (laughs) knocks on her door and asks several times oh dear <laughs> to get a reaction out of violet but i'm sorry she's too busy listening to that fake 70s tv filler <laughs> funk that is oh that's generated it was so some, good wait that wait that pseudo echo song oh no 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 that comes later what she's oh, listening whoa, 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 whoa. to now oh, sorry. yeah 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 it can only be described as something that paunch would listen to while he's getting ready to go to the <laughs> disco later that night i i wrote, right. I, I wrote it down as as steely dan-esque lounge music <laughs> yes okay yeah i i uh i, I mixed that up for a second which, which is that. really something you'd expect some a, a 17 year old punk rock chick in 1985 <laughs> yes. to be listening to but on the other hand she also has posters on her wall for the alan parsons project and rick springfield <laughs> You, you, uh, you, you, Patrick, you like paying attention to what's on the wall outside of the room. I like paying attention to what's on the wall inside the room. Yeah, it's a cacophony. It's, Listen, it's, she's she's a multidimensional girl. All right. <laughs> it's, it's, who's to say just, she she doesn't listen to the germs in Rick Springfield? You know, she, it's <laughs> she's just not, she's not just a see a wig and a smile. There's multitudes behind that. And that includes having a poster of the Alan Parsons project. You know what? Every goth popper listens to in droves it's like she dumpster dived behind a warehouse music and it all (laughs) landed on her wall needless to say jake has now uh he's been rejected from both physical and emotional contact once violet says i don't want to deal with it something tells me she has a lot of nighttime visits from jake that she rejects and so he returns to the hallway we get a lot of dry lightning in the background and then wouldn't you know it someone is there with him and he takes a sweet meat cleaver to the face that we don't see yeah which i i had a question for you guys because i I don't know if you're if you'll have the answer to this but is there a reason they cut that i mean were were the mpa coming down on them at this point in the series because i I know in six and seven they they really got hammered with the gore but was it already like a problem at this point or i I believe it was because they had been uh kind of lax with them on part four because it was you know this is the last one we're doing and i the mpa was kind of like all right all right fine so they let them get away with stuff in four that i think then they regretted and so they came at five a little bit harder every single kill has some sort of rebuttal from the mpaa that it says this goes on too long this had the sex is too gratuitous uh, this needs to be cut back. And so every single element of this has been really hacked to death to the point, which I think part six's response is to go in the body manipulation direction. It has a lot of bloodless. We're folding you in halves. 
were shoving your face through the side of a camper, that sort of direction as opposed to hacking and slashing. So that was their way around it. If, if, if we can't show grisly blood, we'll try to be more outlandish in how we present bloodless deaths. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it allowed them to regain their footing. To jump around a little bit, you know, that the one in six of like the face coming through that camper door, I think is like one of the most iconic kills in any of these, you know, 1980s horror movies. And obviously there's no blood in that, but that image is, I think, permanently burned into a lot of horror fans' minds. And yeah, so good, good pickup on that one. And so we will get a look at what happened here in just a moment, but that is the end of Jake, R.I.P.D. Jake. Well, uh, did actually I I've had did you guys ever see the like mold that they did for Jake's head? Yes. Yeah, and it's like it does not look good. And <laughs> I'm I'm almost I'm wondering if maybe that was part of why they didn't show that because you know I do remember there being. I don't know. I mean, it's like they had a similar thing with, you know, Glover in part four. And, um, you know, I mean, that's that was only a few seconds. But I, I, I don't know if I'm if I'm kind of like backpedaling too much. But that was uh, to me like that almost felt like a cut that was due to the gag not working than it just being like an MPAA thing because like the head looked <laughs> terrible. I, and yes. I, I, I'm kind of glad they didn't have that in there just because it's, it just looks super fake and it's such a huge step down from the, you know, Savini work in the previous entry. But I, th- that was the only bit I wanted to add about that. No, it, it, it's bad. Is it Eddie from part seven bad? <laughs> no. <laughs> Eddie from part seven is so bad that the filmmakers decided to simply leave it out of focus. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> and later <laughs> when it is put into a planter and it is picked up mentally and headbutts Jason Voorhees, that's why part seven comes more alive for me is when they're like, well, this sucks. What can we do with it? That at least gets a reaction out of people. I know take that horrible wax candle head, put it in a planter and headbutt Jason Voorhees with it. <laughs> So they're making lemonade out of lemons over in Carl Buchler land. I don't know that Steinman could run with the punches so much, mm-hmm. at least not here. I'll agree with you. Savage Streets is a better piece of cinema. Than oh, yeah. This. All right. So let's uh, get back into poor Robin's circumstances because we immediately cut back to her. We don't hear the screams from Jake because of lightning. (laughs) It's a typical thing. She cannot rouse Reggie. So she puts a blanket over him and and goes up the stairs through the hallway, which apparently is bloodless, which I find hard to believe given someone was just given a meat cleaver to the face, but okay, (laughs) whatever. Don't quibble about space wizards in a space wizard movie. Um, Let's get into what happens to be in Robin's room because that's super special as well. First of all, there's a stuffed bunny toy with sunglasses on. Deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, there is a James Dean poster that needs to be seen to be believed because no matter how many times you'll see it, you'll wonder, why isn't that on display at my local Cinemark? No, she has her own private copy of a terrible rendering of James Dean. 
I was gonna and, I was gonna say that thank God it was uh she it was labeled James Dean like a like a Ben Garrison comic because I would <laughs> I would have had not a single idea who who that was supposed to be a, a poster of. His his eyes are going in slightly different directions. It's almost <laughs> as if he's being featured on Futurama rather than <laughs> something one would fantasize about. Like, that was a really handsome guy. Why don't you have his eyes go in two different directions? That'll cure you. Um, and then, of course, the piece de resistance, and that is a record album. And on that sleeve, it simply says Panda. I don't, I don't I know like, what kind of music I like their makes. early stuff. Um, <laughs> when did you check out I, a Panda? Because uh, for me, when someone says I like albums. Panda, I'm like, name more than their two big singles. <laughs> I just feel like at a certain point it stopped being about the music. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fucking Panda. Oh, this oh, movie has broken me again. <laughs> and see, this is even the shit is going to get wild in this bedroom because something else is in this sequence that I found truly disturbing on a multitude of levels. I know I've talked about it both on this podcast and others that growing up, the thing that used to frighten the fuck out of me was the theme to the Pink Panther. <laughs> because although it is a very jazzy Henry Mancini tune, it's also supposed to evoke a man sneaking into your fucking house oh yeah <laughs> and it scares me so after robin passes a mirror and like any woman in, in a danny simon film decides to take off her top and talk to herself because that's what ladies do in front of mirrors gina i can confirm yes <laughs> Uh, you heard it here. So if some woman tells you they don't do that, <laughs> uh, they, they're trying to give you the business. Uh, but as she climbs the, the ladder to her top bunk, we see a pink Panther doll straddling a bedpost. Like it's his dick. <laughs> That's gross. Y'all indeed. That's not okay. I don't want to. I don't want to think about the Pink Panther's dick. It's just a, definitely the, not. It's a cartoon. <laughs> there are probably is a uh, community on the <laughs> internet that do want to think about his uh, his dick, and I, I'm sure there have been many Reddit posts about it. But, I'm uh, sure there are, but we don't. <laughs> we don't have to cross the streams. They can independently do that yes. without mixing their shitty chocolate into the peanut butter of my Friday the Thirteenth. Of all of the sleazy and ridiculous and, uh, the, you know, the cho the choices that are made in questionable taste in this movie, uh, this scene with Robin is the one that, for me, crosses the line. And it's because um, I feel like Friday the 13th sets up, like, two kinds of women. There are the women who get naked and there are the women who do not. And I think this movie violates that rule. Um, when, when Debbie Sue Voorhees gets naked, yes, she's, she's part of that camp, you know? Uh, and when Robin gets naked, it, it feels more gratuitous than maybe any nude scene in any Friday the 13th. Oh yeah. Because she's wandering in front of a, several windows without any window coverings on them and also, well, at her boob level, which it's like, who sleeps like this? 
who who does this? And also, she she's supposed to be sharing a room with someone, is she not? Yeah. I mean, granted, <laughs> that, granted that that person has already been killed, if I'm not mistaken, but she mm-hmm. doesn't. But she doesn't know this yet. No, but I mean, unless she does, and she's just very good at keeping it under her hat. I I don't. I mean, I've never you. Know, I've never slept in a dormitory or had a a platonic roommate. But I'm gonna guess you're not walking around in just you know panties and no shirt on <laughs> if you if you're in a room you're just sharing a room with you know just a casual friend, let alone a roommate in a psychiatric halfway house. <laughs> I, I would imagine that behavior would be curtailed relatively quickly yes this is the thing that sort of bends your desire to just go along your sense of disbelief that you have sat on a shelf starts to creep back into your lap and say but wait there's some things that are wrong here it's when things go from that doesn't make sense to i only huff paint because i like to smell colors territory (laughs) right off the bat she climbs into bed, and I don't know about you all. All right, I'm, I'm no judgment, but every time I've climbed into bed, I've noticed whether or not there's another body in the <laughs> bed. No, I think the problem is, 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 and I'm pretty sure if memory serves, I think we did discuss the impossible physics of this. Yes. And I don't think he was in the bed initially. I think when she's the the 20 seconds or so that she's laying there with her eyes closed, because, of course, in in, you know, in true movie fashion, whenever a character gets in a bed, they immediately go to sleep. Yeah, they don't just lay there staring at the ceiling, you pondering existence like most of us do. Doubting their choices about doing a Friday the 13th podcast. (laughs) Yes, I'm I'm unfamiliar with this. Going over a conversation they had six months ago. Yeah. You know, they they usually... (laughs) Just, you know, immediately roll over, you know, instantly asleep. She she, she she closes her eyes, opens them again for a moment, and then closes them again. And I think at that point is how he somehow quietly creeps up the side of the, of the, of the bunk bed and just tosses a full-grown man into the bed <laughs> next to her. Sure. Because what happens afterwards is just as wonky when it comes to physics because this is an impossible death now i i don't know patrick if we discussed with you the phenomenon that we discovered in friday the 13th movies that we like to call get bunked and that is when a victim dies through something Mm -hmm. else it starts in part one with Mm -hmm. an arrow through the neck which is Impossible, but because of Pamela Voorhees' forearm strength, she's able to just power through both the bottom of the bunk, the mattress, the springs, the back of his spine, and the front of his neck. 12-inch arrow, (laughs) 10 inches of clearance, doesn't matter. (laughs) But at least then you're given physics that makes sense. Yes, it does propose that Pamela was underneath that bunk for the entire time those two were fucking, but wouldn't you... I said to silence. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was too busy masturbating. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and then this phenomenon is expanded upon in part two, in which we get the ultimate sad sandwich, in which two people are speared yep. while fucking in a direct ripoff of Bay of Blood. Uh, then we go to part three, where a woman does not notice that a very stinky wood bound 
living creature is underneath her hammock while she reads a Fangoria magazine and only begins to suspect things when her cut-in-half boyfriend starts to bleed on her and she is stabbed through the chesticle. Then in part four, we get one of the best ones, and that is when a girl swims out to an abandoned raft, like we all do, and the guy who died originally because he didn't know how to swim starts acting like a fucking torpedo and just springs up like Jaws 2 and stabs her through the front of her and the raft and her back. And it's fucking awesome because it's Julie Aronson and I worship at her fucking altar. Oh, yeah. Here we get to part five. Part five is so brazen. It doesn't leave getting bunked at one thing. No. Demon gets bunked. He gets bunked a couple different ways inside of a shit box. And that's a wonderful magic trick. But here, this get bunked makes fuck all worth of sense. Because we get Royson's left arm grasping her neck. Then we look underneath this bunk bed, not to put too fine a point on it. And his left hand is stabbing upwards but there's only three feet worth of clearance for him to be there, which means he's either hovering, kneeling, but this angle gives the impression that he is standing while this is happening, which would be nearly impossible given the size and width of this bunk bed. And I'm saying that this is the one death that doesn't make any sense. In the Friday the 13th <laughs> franchise, and that's the hill I'm willing to die on. Let me ask you this, though. Man. Uh, if you were not doing yeah. this podcast where you are sort of analyzing each death in depth, would you... Like, I don't think I've ever paid attention to that. Do you know what I mean? That's not how I'm watching these movies. I'm just, oh, okay, now she died. Okay, next scene. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're like, okay, they're gone. On to the next. So I'm just, was this something that bothered you before you started doing this podcast? It's one of the things that, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this <laughs> podcast in the first place. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> this makes no fucking sense. And I've never thought it made sense. And no one wanted to talk to me about it. And then Gina said, okay, I'm free on Sundays and Wednesdays. And here we are, two years later, still talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think most, I think it washes over people, but I also feel like that's why this was a good idea <laughs> because no one was talking about sure. it. And we were the only ones stupid enough to dedicate <laughs> a lot of time to talking about it. Stupid I mean, I, I really like, I, I, I like these in-depth kind of, looks at these things where you know you get to really drill down into what you like and don't like about it i think it's a fine idea it's just it's <laughs> it's odd it's like it's never it's never um it's just never that one i don't know why it just like didn't ping for me and there's a lot of other things that have in this movie and in the other entries but i don't know yeah i i mean now that you're saying it of course it sounds totally ridiculous but <laughs> It's, uh, it was, it just, it never, never stopped me. Uh, I'm just, I'm reeling from this new blurb that we get to put on our DVD cover. Jackson Stewart, <laughs> Beyond the Gates. It seems like a good idea. <laughs> I believe it was a fine, fine idea. idea. <laughs> it's a fine idea. It wasn't even good. It's 
fine. No, 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 no. Fine, <laughs> fine is uh, you know, it, there's there's very fine, fine. You know, there's that whole that whole grading system we have for for like comic books and video games and such. Very, very fine is the highest. Fine okay. is right behind it. Right. And then there's good, and you know, everything goes below that. So I mean, it's it's pretty much saying it's great. What's what is what's the problem here? No, no problem at all. I, I I'm not a trial here. <laughs> I was, uh, I, was, I was being positive. <laughs> Not yet. All right. So, um, and so that is the end of, of, of Robin. We hardly knew ye at all for any reason, other than the fact that you're the one character who never really changes her clothes. Sure. Because <laughs> she really liked those clothes. I, but at this point, she donned a, a She a is robe. the character who I just, I literally know nothing about. Everyone else I can at least boil down to one personality trait even if it's just yeah the stutter you know jake's stutter robin has no single defining characteristic except like i don't know she's kind of a redhead she, yeah <laughs> she's like redhead girl next door and there's there there's very little to kind of glean yeah. from her whereas yeah, you know she is. Violet she's, she's and, the one she's the one they don't ever bother even hinting at why no. she's there it's like she wandered in one day <laughs> And like, do it's you just, have a do you have a bus ticket out of town? No, you can stay at this halfway house in Pinehurst. It's like a it's like an all purpose you know, home for you know mentally challenged teenagers, you know, angry teenagers, and teenagers just don't have another place to go. All she had was the clothes on her back and an a panda album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what more do you need, frankly, when you've got pandas' greatest hits? We'll never know. Uh, let's cut to Violet's room. And before we go inside, there's a couple things we need to discuss. And they're taped to both the inside and outside of her door. On the outside, we have an article that says the following. Man dies or man sneezes himself to death. And also below that is an article about human salamanders. And my, I guess my question to everyone here is the fuck is a human salamander, y'all? I mean, that, that sounds like another like 4chan thing. (laughs) I mean, if you're looking for a serious answer, I think it was a, um, sort of a, I mean, I, I'm to use a, a no longer politically correct term, a freak show thing back in the day, which was, uh, I believe because this is a, a subject I am shamefully at this point well-versed in, uh, <laughs> is a person who doesn't have any arms or legs oh. and just kind of wiggles around. <sighs> Things took Whoa. a turn with Gina's real-life knowledge, everyone. I didn't say I personally knew anybody that like a <laughs> human salamander. I just know what it means. It's, uh, yeah. I, I don't. That was not at all what I thought that, <laughs> <laughs> that would be. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is really depressing. Now. I thought it was someone who could flick their tongue in and out really cool. Yeah. I don't know. They, I don't know. They can't do that. Ah, oh, it's true. Yeah. You got me there. Uh, well, let's let's reverse course. Let's talk about what's on the inside of this door, which we get to see when Roy magically opens the door without it creaking or making a single noise or making a noise himself, even though he is wearing the largest boots that have ever been donned on film. And that is a some sort of anti-whale hunting 
um, graphic that says "Stop the slaughter." <laughs> it's very, very, very woke. Of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but no one's here to stop the slaughter here at Pinehurst. And so, while Violet, who is dancing in what can only be described as half tut, half moomin shots, no, she's uh, she was she's not dancing. I, I, I was. <laughs> I was going to say that I I, I dunk on this movie a, a lot, but it does remain the only Friday the 13th movie to feature the breathtaking art of mime. <laughs> and, and, and no, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, the robot. She, she's yeah. doing a little bit of that rope pulling thing, too, that, yes. that, that mimes do. She's This is some sort of mime interpretive dance thing. And, <laughs> I, and, and I applaud this incredibly. I, now, I have to wonder, was this something that this actress could do and she just mentioned it to the director and the director's like yeah put that in there that's great we'll add some dimension to this to this character I, say or is or is you know violet dances in the script <laughs> i have a feeling it was on her list of actor skills that came in where it's like can do the robot and steinman was like that's a great idea we're putting it because <laughs> this could gold jerry gold she could do the robot because this goes on long enough that you know somebody filming this thought this was cool. I mean, I think it's dope <laughs> as fuck. I'll be totally honest. I, unironically, I think it's awesome. Uh, Is it I remember, because she can pull an invisible rope and move? Or because when I, she points to the right, her head goes to the right? Well, you know, Violet. Violet's become like one of my my favorite characters in this, partially because of the Friday the Thirteenth game, because the AJ Mason character is like a full on carbon copy of Violet, and she's always my go to on that. Um, mm-hmm. I believe you can also give her the robot dance moves through the uh, DLC on the game, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's like how, the song that's playing when he's creeping up on her is fantastic i like that it's just so appropriately of the era and like i mean this was probably super dated by the time this hit the theaters you know where it's it was just one of those things where it was like oh this is probably really cool the week that we were filming this (laughs) and uh, you know a year later maybe maybe not so much but uh i just i really liked the sincerity behind it and that they weren't just doing it for the for the goose it's you know? it's another example of them having an idea for a type but not actually knowing what that person would be in real life so it's joey with the candy bars because it's like i don't know she's a punk ah, what do we know about punks i don't know uh give her black makeup like pris from blade runner slap an alan parsons poster on her wall yeah yeah, yeah. have her have her do the robot like none of these things gel like a punk would do but they just come up with all these different things i don't know that's what punks do right they pop and lock yeah okay <laughs> She certainly stands out from everyone else because she's uniquely her own thing. She doesn't have the same attitude that anyone else has. She doesn't present the same way as anyone else has. And that's where you go. There were some ideas here. Let's cut to the meat of this <laughs> Ooh, in the worst way possible. And that is a She's not wearing a bra and no woman in this film is wearing a bra in a grand Friday the 13th tradition. Danny Simon is not unique here. In fact, the best entries, everyone, male, female, not wearing underwear. This is the way I want my Friday the 13th films. There's no underwear on anyone. I want to see dicks outlined in very tight jeans. That's how I roll. 
<laughs> Secondly, <laughs> is that the manner in which she dies was abandoned as they filmed it. As was outlined in the script, she is grabbed by the throat by Royson and elevated. Royson then stabs the wall with the blade facing upwards and drops her crotch first onto the blade. (laughs) This is fucking gross, y'all. I mean, listen, it is obviously a partial nod to part three, in which the same thing happens to a guy who does handstands really well. But that's a downward thrust. Here... It's a gravity is doing the work, but they just inserted a, sh- uh, a very hasty shot when absolutely everyone on the set said, oh, fuck, <laughs> we can't do this. This is a terrible idea. There are, there are shots of her st- sitting in an actor's chair with and just looking, just looking like she forgot that her period was coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, I was I was I was waiting to jump in on that. But yeah, I I, for whatever reason, I didn't uh, I I had no idea they actually like shot more of that. Um, I always just assumed they had like a cutaway there. But seeing the behind the scenes thing, I was like, holy shit, that is pretty fucked up. Like even by (laughs) Friday the 13th standards, like, I don't know that that's that reaches like um, a level of uh, like dubious horror out there where they seem to just go for like the most hardcore fucked up terrible stuff you can think of and they're like oh this makes us super edgy and i was like "Eh, no it just (laughs) but yeah that was one where i was like "Mm, maybe this this feels a little over the line here It's like most of the other stuff, you know, getting the shears in the eyes, fine. You know, any any of the genital mutilation stuff is uh, it's it's dicey at best. It would have been memorable, mm. but I also feel that it's entirely unearned. It's a very mean death. Oh yeah. Essentially, one could argue that the entire Friday the Thirteenth franchise is is built on meanness to a degree because no one really deserves what's coming to them. Well, it's uh, I mean it's it's interesting because like the entire mo of the series is really motivated by revenge of this woman losing her son. You know and there being no good reason for it and then the rest of it is sort of jason avenging his mother over you know an endless number of counselors until you know he goes into outer space and you know i can't believe you (laughs) the journey i just can't believe that was a sentence like until he goes into outer space <laughs> it's almost it's almost like one of those things when like you read the you know like all, all these iterations of sequels or other entries and in, in various franchise movies that didn't happen where you know there was this rumor which i think ended up being debunked but it was going to be that the sequel to star wars was going to be like a western with the entire cast and like michael chimino was going to direct it so it was like <laughs> what the fuck would that have been it was like so it have been like mark hamill and you know harrison ford and all this other stuff but jason x does have a, a quality of feeling like oh they were going to make a movie where like jason was on like a space station and he killed a bunch of people and stuff and you're like oh that would have been really <laughs> crazy and it's it's even more crazy that they made it and it's freely available this is where it's sort of gets 
lost with the the framework of of this film because it's obviously aping i lost a child and it occurred here so everyone who was a party to it must pay yeah okay but it's complicated by the fact that roy was just hanging around while his kid was in this halfway house and he didn't want to get involved in joey's obvious chocolate addiction and so he's like ah, i'm gonna back off and just hang out around the edges of town but when he gets murdered that's i flip the murder switch to on whereas when it comes to part two three and four we have someone who may or may not have died who was then raised by raccoons and then lived in a shack and has decided that anyone who sets foot in not just Camp Crystal Lake, but anyone near Crystal Lake in general is just wheat to be mowed down. And the idea that is proposed in later, uh, more knowing horror films, that the reason that these people die is because they are having sex and doing drugs and drinking is bullshit because those people would have been doing that anyways. The reason they die is because they are near Crystal Lake. That's it. Because people who survive fuck, people who survive do drugs, people who survive drink. So that fucking excuse is out the window. All that's left is you were in the way. So when you get to five, people who are in no way, shape, or form in the way also tend to get it, including the lovely uh, Anita and Demon. Anita, of course, donning one single giallo glove. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and Demon, of course, of enchilada fame. And uh, Tijuana right. Man fame. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then two greasers who have been fucking <laughs> because no one argues that much unless you're having sex with that person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I think this brings us to perhaps America's favorite game show they don't even know exists. And that is Choose Your Own Death Venture. That is where we decide of the three deaths presented in this section of the film, if we were forced to die in one of those manners, which one would we choose and why? And up for bid this edition, we have meat cleaver to the face, a rather clean meat cleaver to the face. Uh, we also have a get bunked via machete. And then we just have a straight up get stabbed into the wall with a machete. So, uh, Jackson, you are the virgin here. Uh, I'm not talking, maybe in life. I don't maybe. know. I don't know you that well. It's a possibility. But <laughs> definitely when it comes to this game, you are you are the virgin here. So let's pop your cherry. Which death would you choose? Um, I would go with the meat cleaver to the face. I think uh, in, in anything that present, uh, prevents a closed cast or a, an open casket funeral is uh, the way to go. Okay. So that's 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 my go-to. Now you understand that you're gonna have to wear that white button down for a really at least thirty-six to forty-eight hours before you die. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I can live with that. Not everyone can pull it off. <laughs> Certainly, Jake couldn't. 
I'll give it a, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Okay. Uh, Mr. Bromley, ooh, what say you? I feel bad. Jackson's so much more of a baller than I am because I'm like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll see it coming. I'll take a cleaver to the face. I'm like, oh, Robin, no, I'm laying in bed and suddenly I'm dead. Uh, that seems painless and you're not ever afraid. You know, there is, it's just one second you're alive, one second you're dead. Uh, so I'm going Robin. Now that proposes that you sleep half naked in those very uh, 80s underwear that go way high. What else is new? Okay. (laughs) You heard it here. Maybe not even first. Maybe you're saying. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's literally in my Twitter bio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Gina, spin the wheel. What does it land on for you? Um, I'm. I would. I am amused by the idea of the last thing in my life being uh, interpretive <laughs> dancing. So uh, I, I would have to say I, I would go with with Violet's death. Well, first of all, I know you have the moves, <laughs> so that's totally covered. <laughs> but that requires a level of eye makeup I've never seen you personally don. Well, you know, if it's a special occasion, like if I know this is coming, I mean, I'll. I'll <laughs> I'll go all the way. I'll, 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 I'll bleach my hair. I'll get the weird, random, kind of Lady Gaga-esque black streaks in it. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go the distance. That's what we love to hear here. Okay. So, of the three deaths, of course, I think there's one route that really hasn't been taken. And that is Violet's unseen death of being lowered onto a machete onto your crotch. Which, while I don't wish on myself, I have the feeling several people I've known over my lifetime have said, I think that should happen (laughs) to you. And so uh, I am nothing if not a people pleaser. So I'm totally going to land on that machete. If for no other reason than the picture I get to take afterwards when sitting in a director's chair. Hey, (laughs) oh. And so that just about does it uh, for us this time. But before we go, uh, let's do uh, some quick plugs. Jackson, where can people uh, learn more about you and your work? Um, well, you know, I, 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 I pulled my Twitter recently just because it's uh, an incredibly hostile place. So I'm, I'm trying to stay away from that. But uh, I'm on Instagram at Boss Jacko. And there's there's some good, fun 80s horror stuff on there. And, you know, I think you mentioned earlier that Beyond the Gates is on Netflix and a Scream Factory Blu-ray. And then hopefully there will be new stuff to announce soon uh, projects wise. But yeah, I'd say just uh, cruise over to Instagram. And that's uh, that's the best way to find me. Yes. If if anyone in our audience has not seen Beyond the Gates yet, I urge you to do so. I, I found it a wonderful flashback to a simpler time and yet a very resonant story about brothers and what it feels like to care uh, for each other in the absence of a parent. I, I found it very resonant. And there's some great performances in there as, as well. And I mean, thank you. Fuck all. You got Barbara Crampton. Yeah, no, she's, she's an icon, y'all. She rules. I love her. I yeah. still, I still like get super psyched pretty much anytime she she texts me, which is uh, uh, frequently now. But I'm like, oh my god, I'm friends with Barbara Crampton. How cool is this? <laughs> Probably the coolest that anyone yes. has ever felt. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Hey, Mr. Bromley, there's lots of places that people can, can, can hear you. Tell us. About uh, it. well, you know, I'll just quickly, uh, echo what you said about beyond the gates since Jackson obviously can't like talk up his own movie too much. Uh, <laughs> 
It was my favorite horror movie of 2016. I just adore it, and I've watched it a bunch of times. So if you haven't seen it, my goodness, please wow. go see it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm at uh, fthismovie.com. We, you know, publish articles every day and a podcast every week. Uh, I'm a co-host of Corpse Club over at dailydead.com. I write over there. I've been writing some stuff for Bloody Disgusting, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Patrick Bromley. I'm really enjoying you going through uh, the Masters. Of oh, yes. Thank you. That's been interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't revisited those in so very long. So it was nice to go through piece by piece and sort of revisit those films because I don't think they get as much attention as they might deserve. Some of them might be best forgotten, but... Uh, it's nice to know someone is doing it for me. All right, Gina, uh, where can people find you on the internet? I write about old TV and pop culture and movies at GinaRadcliffe.com. Uh, and keeping in vain with the the theme of the show, I most recently wrote a a post about Hereditary, which uh, melted my face off and right onto the floor. Um, <laughs> uh, I also I'm on Twitter at Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. If you want to reach out to us, a couple simple ways to do it. Uh, in 280 characters or less on Twitter, at Kill by Kill Pod. On Instagram, we do fun things there at Kill by Kill Podcast. We have the Facebook page and group, of course, where we discuss things more in depth and tend to goof on random Friday the 13th wares. Uh, and uh, of course, if you have something longer to say, uh, email us. It's happened uh, once or twice. Uh, kill by kill pod at gmail.com. And of course, uh, we are an independent podcast. We thrive upon your reviews and testimonies on Apple Podcasts. So if you use any podcatcher platform, if you can rate and review us and tell more people about us, uh, we can grow and we would appreciate that ever so much. If you tell us what your favorite Friday the 13th uh, franchise death is, we will talk about it here on this here podcast. That's our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. And so until next time, don't worry, folks, the body count will continue. Happy Friday the 13th and bye-bye, everybody. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.